This podcast is a Tucker Media production. For more information, head to tuckermedia.com.au. Welcome to How Gen Y Buy. Each week, we speak to everyday Australians to discover the unique ways in which they are entering the property market. Learn how Gen Y are beating the odds and getting their foot on the property ladder with your host, Nathan Smith, the Managing Director and Mortgage Broker at Birdie Wealth. Another fortnight's gone and we're back with a new episode of How Gen Y Buy. Today I'm joined by Tyler who has purchased a number of properties now. We're going to talk through the highs and lows of the property journey. He's had some great experiences and also some harder experiences. So welcome to the show, Tyler. Thanks for having me. Excellent. We're at your place today, 8 o'clock at night, microphone set up, ready to record. Uh, Kids in bed. Yeah, sleep. Good Can't start. hear us. It's a good sign. Very good. It's nice and quiet in here and uh, nice and warm, so it's nice to be here. Look, I want to start with uh, with the first question which I asked to all the guests, and that's why did you actually decide to buy a property? That one's probably more driven by my wife initially. Uh, we've been together for a number of years, uh, looking to make that next step in the old relationship where you kind of move out and test the waters living with each other. We got on pretty well so we're still together so that's a good that's sign. a good sign yes uh we were just not really wanting to rent and pay for someone else's mortgage uh, we just figured pull our money together get into a property obviously that was the first step before marriage and everything else down the line um but just yeah getting a foothold into the market as well we weren't too concerned about um, having the best property that we could potentially afford back then uh, it was more just getting somewhere that was convenient uh, and offer a good kind of livable situation, wasn't going to stretch us too much with our finances either. So but prior yeah. to that, you were living separately and decided, let's jump in. Yeah, we were kind of doing the... Sign the 30-year contract four, and Four nights and three nights. So yeah. four nights at, at mine, three nights at hers. And I think living out of a bag was a, a bit bit of a stretch too far. We were essentially living with each other, but just in each other's parents' houses. Great. So Mel's led the charge and said, right, it's time to buy a property. Did you have similar ideas of what you were looking for in a property? Mel was much better at scouring the market. Probably everything good that we've bought, the asset-wise, she's uh, led the charge in doing the research and putting together the pros and cons. Um, in terms of what we wanted in a property was close to public transport, lock-up garage. Um, we weren't too concerned about, as I said, all the bells and whistles. Um, we ended up with just a two-bedroom unit in Sutherland, kind of built in the 80s, brick and concrete, solid, probably could have used an updated kitchen if we were going to keep it long term, but for what we were looking at, just somewhere nice to live with each other, it was pretty much met all the criteria and we were happy with it. Perfect. So you're both working in the city at that stage, so being yeah. close to public transport, something that will get you straight into work and straight out was, yep, the, was one one the main criteria. Well. Yeah. That was a bonus, so I was probably... Started off in Central, then went out to Martin Place. So that was always nice and convenient, 35, 40 minutes on the train. Mel was at Redfern as well at that stage. So, yeah, nice and quick for her. Fantastic. So saving together a deposit, how did you go juggling that as a couple? Was one a better saver than the other or did you both kind of pull your money together? Yeah, I think in most cases uh, the, the missus was much better than me. I was still 
That's um, generally the case, yeah. I think, in most relationships. Uh, I would have to say probably 90% of the time a couple comes into an appointment with their mortgage documents. It's generally in a folder under the uh, wife's arm or the female's arm. The, the male's kind of just lucky to, to find where the office is and get himself there. That's normally his job. <laughs> that sounds like me, actually. I think, um, yeah, Mel definitely led the charge in terms of putting a rein on the spending as well um, before we even got into the kind of joint account stage, probably months before we even started looking at property seriously. She got me to yeah, put what savings I did have into, say, a, what was a term deposit. Um, she did a term deposit as well. Um, so we were both saving on the side as well, getting good interest back then as well. Um, yeah. And then... Once they kind of came out of came to maturity, we we then pulled it into another term deposit. It was working twice as hard for us. We'd kind of had that goal of getting a property then, um, but I think the main thing was uh, getting me to focus a bit more long term away from the Friday and Saturday nights down the pub with my mates. So. Yes. So learning when to say no, when to say yes. Uh, not always saying yo uh, no. So you bought a property seven years ago now. Yeah, it's the first property. Feels like a long time ago now. Yeah, mid, so mid twenties at that particular time, bought your first property. Uh, how do you remember that actual process of going around looking for properties? We were nervous. We yeah. we just we were what we thought were young twenty year old somethings in the market, uh, very tentative, um, looking at property. Actually, asked our parents along to a couple of showings of different properties just to kind of get. A general overview of what we should be looking at more so than um, those kind of property inspections and those type of things just just using their experience so Mel's parents had a unit each previously before they kind of bought and built their house so they bought um, land and then built um, and my parents had kind of gone through two or three houses at that stage so yeah relying on their life experience um, but yeah, when it was up, up to us to kind of actually make the step and approach agents and ask questions, we, we kind of felt a bit naive and inexperienced, but it's just a learning process. Uh, the more we did it, the, the more comfortable we felt and the more confident we felt in not just asking questions, but walking into a property and just knowing straight away, um, no, this isn't for us or um, probably even if it was all oh, this one might go a bit too high for us than what we're willing to spend at the moment. Yeah, so you're getting a better idea on what the market price is and that the difficult stage when you're first looking is similar to what I've heard a lot of first home buyers say is you don't know what to actually ask. You don't know what you don't know. So you, you're trying to actually go through and work out, well, what should I be asking? What should I be looking for in a property? So parents can come in handy with that because they've got a bit of an idea on some of the things that um, can be a problem down the track and some of the things will certainly be more suitable. So they were able to help out with that. Was there any key criteria obviously the train station being one was there any key criteria that said look i must have with this first property uh i think a second bedroom that wasn't kind of predicting the relationship would fall over but it was more just for kind of like a backup chuck a futon in there if people wanted to stay uh, we had both had kind of computers that we would mel would work from home every now and then she's got a bit of a hobby um kind of designing stickers and stationary stuff that she sells so having the time and space to go in and kind of disconnect from, say, me playing on the PlayStation with my mates, which was another thing that I had to rein down for not spending. Yeah, that's right. Um, but, yeah, we used to. So just giving you a bit more space. I think uh, 
I've spoken with people on this podcast who have purchased one-bedroom properties initially and other people who've purchased two-bedroom properties, and they all serve a different purpose. But uh, the advantage of that two-bedroom property I have seen is the fact that when you go to sell it, you've just got that slightly larger demographic to actually go and sell that property to. So you have the single person, you have the couple that you can sell it to, but you do have downsizes. You have young families that can potentially do it, or if it's an investment property, you can rent it out to two individuals who can live separately from each other. Yeah, which we we did discuss as well in terms of next steps and future. Did we want to stay there for when eventually marriage and trying to start a family occurs we knew there were families in the unit blocks that we were where we were located so that was always a potential as well um but yeah just the time was right to kind of move on in the future absolutely now do you remember any advice you were given back then while you were going around whether it was good or bad we were we were chatting about this before really we don't remember anything particularly bad i think everyone has their slice of advice that they like to hand out i think our parents both kind of push the fact that as the biggest kind of expense that you'll do, your biggest asset you'll own, especially at that stage of our lives, um, just to be really confident with the one we would actually end up choosing. But also, I think pushing that your first property isn't always your end property. So that's where we made some concessions as opposed to other people that bought around the same time as us. Um, But I think looking at it realistically, without that property, we wouldn't have ended up where we are at the moment in the location we are. Yeah, so you've bought a you bought a property which, like you said, is not your end dream property. You do have to compensate and sacrifice a bit to have a combination of lifestyle and property. But the that unit was essentially used as a stepping stone for you then to upgrade into the house, which is where we are today. So out at Bangor today in the the property, which uh, so you only you held the unit for two years. Two years was enough. Yeah, made two some years. Equity, and then at that point, you made a decision to go up to the house. How was that a difficult decision? Were you both on board with that? Oh, yeah, we were both on board. We were kind of at the stage that we were looking at that next stage of life, I think, where you're, you're engaged, you're, you're about to be married. Um, we both always wanted kids, um, both big dog people, so backyard's always handy. That was a bit of a longer process, um, but we were both on board in terms of, yeah, it's time, the time's right for a house. Um, the market was starting to pick up back then as well. So I think we bought the unit at a good time when it was a bit low in terms of kind of selling. Yeah, quite, um, definitely. So that was definitely a, a big change in experience, buying the, the house as opposed to the unit for us. Yeah, so the house was a, a, a longer search and probably a more difficult search as far as there's a lot more competition out there. And we've, we've kind of worked out it was roughly nine to ten months that search. Yeah, so not as long as some people. In the market, we're aware of that, um, but I think no. Just shout out to Jason, who we did the first podcast with, three and a half years. So yeah, that's uh, a, that's a, a slog. He's a record holder. Uh, nine to ten months though, so it's still uh, plenty of Saturdays. Yeah, we were out every Saturday as well. We didn't miss a Saturday. Um, the house we've actually ended up coming into, we talk about it quite often. The area we're in at the moment, we didn't see a house drop again in this area for six or seven months. So we. We saw it early on in the search and we're like, yeah, we wouldn't mind living in this section of Bangor. It's quite nice, close to the transport, schools, shops. Um, 
but then it just dried up in this area and it went nothing all over. So. There's only limited stock, I guess, in this area. So, and, and they do tend to be longer-term purchases. When you're buying these family homes, people tend to buy them and raise a family in them and then sell them in a 10- or 15-year time frame. So it's very different to that unit market where people are consistently moving in and out as their lifestyle changes. So, uh, yeah, you do see less of them moving around. Were you more confident looking at properties because you've been through the process before? In terms of dealing with agents, we were. Um, but in terms of the next step up in kind of pricing, I suppose I lean a bit more to a pessimistic <laughs> sense <laughs> of, yeah. of view. Yeah. Uh, so more debt and more stress for me. Yes. Um, but kind of picking up little errors with the property and things that you just think, oh, that might not be great. Um, having lived in the unit as well, just everyday sort of stuff. Like our lock-up garage was, there was no kind of roller door or anything on it. It was manually lifting it and closing it. And then you'd have to walk to the steps with all the shopping and then unlock that, unlock up the front go. door, yeah. go up four, four flights. So just kind of looking at everyday use, what would work, what wouldn't work. Um, but again, um, kind of leaning heavily on more so mates that were kind of tradesmen, shooting plenty of ideas on how much would this cost or is this a thing to be concerned about. Uh, but obviously when it comes time to going for a house or finding one that you actually like, getting the proper inspections done just for that peace of mind as well. But Yeah, there's a combination of two, isn't it? So you, that pest and building inspection, I think, is that main check you're talking about, which yeah. is done when you've found that property. But getting advice from mates uh, and having a walk through there's a lot. Uh, I have absolutely no experience on the tools. I'm terrible. Um, much better in front of a laptop than I am with a hammer. So knowing what certain things cost is great to get an idea on some mates and say, what's this actually going to cost? Yeah, definitely. Uh, on the same. You're similar. Right? Right? Um, yes. Having to take out some pipes the other night for <laughs> removing a spa bath that ran through what will be my daughter's new room as she transitions across to a big bed um, and my wife might hear this now, and I nearly need the hot water pipes <laughs> cutting through the wall. So sorry, Mel. Yeah, that that would have been a big error. Now buying the house that was in two thousand and thirteen. By the time you settled and moved into the property, so only four years ago. Do you remember much of the talk around the property market at that stage? What was happening? What was predicted to happen? We just experienced it. So when we started looking, I was just chatting to Nath before about this. Uh, there was one that wasn't necessarily a dream house, but one that did get away. Um, probably sold for a hundred thousand cheaper than what we ended up paying. Wow. Um, and it had most of the same kind of layout and backyard and those type of things. So that's definitely just from our experience there. Probably a hundred to two hundred thousand we noticed in the seven months that we were looking. Wow! So, so you were watching that run. You're watching the city yeah, market and take off and run. Yeah, definitely. And obviously the the huge, what I consider a huge shift from kind of private sale into auction. So everything was starting to, we felt in particular the pressure of each weekend. So it became a seller's, a seller's market, market now. Yeah. So you've, you've gone from buying the unit in a buyer's market where you've got a little bit more uh, push and, and ability to negotiate to now going into a seller's market where you queue at the front door to get into the property. Yeah, pretty much. It was and uh, the real estate agent stands there, takes your number and asks you if you want to put an offer in. Okay. So the the auction, did you attend any auctions? or? Yeah, we did. We went to a few. Missed out on one in Illawong that 
was probably a house that had it all, renovated bathrooms, renovated kitchen, pool, lovely gardens, um, and just went to our maximum. That was a bit heartbreaking. What was that thing we got? We got the bond. The The deposit bond. The deposit bond to enable us to kind of go to these auctions and just have the confidence to bid to what we thought a property was worth or what we were willing to pay. And then there were a few others that we, we missed out on as well. I remember one, we went and did the building and pest and got those results back and everything was good. Um, I, I went up there, Mel couldn't attend that weekend for some reason, but literally the first bid was 200K above what we wow. passed the max of that property was. So, right. yeah, that was a, a moment of just walk straight back to the car and don't even bother yeah. seeing what it went for. It is tough. I've said before, you have to have some kind of emotional attachment to it when you're buying your own home. So you do start to think about how we'd live in it, what we what renovations we'd do first, where we'd go to the shops, how we'd get to work from that property. You actually have to fork out money if you're going to the auction, right? So you're, mm-hmm. you're paying for pest and building inspections, you're having solicitors check the contract, and then to walk on the, up on the day and uh, turn straight back around, hop in the car is is very tough. Yeah, it's difficult. Not not even to get into that old bidding war that you see on whatever it is the block and those type of things where they drag it out. It's just just yeah, first some bid. Of, some of them are brutal. But out you go, back you go. Uh, but that's the nature of the market. There's nothing you can do about it. You can't change it. It is what it is. Were you, were there any? Did you start to doubt yourself as the prices ran away? And I mean, there's a lot of talk in the media about property prices. We we did a little bit, especially during that six month period. I was saying where just nothing was coming up in this area where we we've ended up. Went up to Ingadine and Heathcote, looked up there. Um, didn't really like kind of the idea of living there, just for our personal preferences. And the prices up there weren't cheaper either from what we were looking at for kind of houses that just in our own opinion didn't match what we wanted to spend. We were a bit worried that maybe we're going to miss out. Like we've done all this hard work, saving. Um, We felt like we'd got in the market the right time with the unit and we were happy with the price we got for it. But yeah, definitely starting to doubt ourselves. Maybe we should have just stayed there and and waited for longer. Um, I think that the bubble bursting is something we keep hearing even now. You do, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of continued just to go up. I think we, we changed our tactics a little bit in terms of how we approached the agents and the owners when we were going for a property. Yeah. Um, so, as you mentioned with the unit, it was a kind of buyer's market. We we did the whole negotiation thing. We've got the power. They want to sell it. Um, but it just wasn't the case anymore. Um, we would have to kind of really scrutinise property um, and definitely put in an offer that day if we were committed, if it was kind of private sale. So on the day, you were on the day. expecting the property, yep. stepping to the side, picking a figure and, and going straight yeah, in from we were, day one. We were pretty much, I think that was six, seven months into the search of the nine months so that it took us. We just went, everything's going up, like every price is going up for every property. We pretty much just whatever the agent said as an estimate of what it would sell for, we just added on 150K. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah. Just from experience of yeah. watching the houses go past and what they sold for. And that's probably how we ended up with this property. When they, when this property came on the market, there was another three in like a little, I don't know, a little pool, I suppose you call it, and five or six street radius. Uh, 
the other ones were probably a bit more renovating in the kitchens and the bathroom. They'd done the, the kind of seller's tips. Yes. Um, Quick coat of paint. Yeah. Floors, yeah. One I remember was just laminate floors. It was really, <laughs> really, really echoey. Yeah. Um, but this one, uh, the backyard is chock full of a bit of a tropical paradise. They tried to re- recreate like a barley theme. <laughs> over the top? Oh, you've just walked in. There was probably 10 eucalyptus and gum trees on the property, which have now gone due to fire hazard. Yes. That's Good. what we'll call it. That's right. Um, and that's probably what helped us. We walked out of this house. We liked the layout, liked what it offered and the potential um, and put in that afternoon what we would be committed and prepared to pay for it. Um, and then I think on the Tuesday uh, we heard back from the agent saying that the owners were happy to accept that. Um, I think what the other couples that went through this and then we saw at each other house, um, they probably had their eye on the other houses for whatever personal preference it was, but um, I think that definitely helped because it wasn't low-balling what they thought they could get. They were happy with the offer and didn't want to drag it out anymore. So, so there's a few on the market at the time. You kind of took advantage of that and said, let's just focus yeah, on this one. We'll, we'll we like this one. this one. We like what it offers for the future. Let's put in what we're prepared to pay for it. Let's give a very good offer in terms of what a seller would think would be a good offer as well. Um, so I think definitely that helped. So, so far, so good. You've bought the property. You've settled on the property now. Um, you've had a good result with your first property, walked away with some good cash, got into it. Uh, you've had uh, you've had the wedding? Yeah, had the wedding. Then had I, the honeymoon? Yeah, six weeks in Europe, which was something we hadn't done before, so we saved up for that as well, which was good. Very nice. Mel falls pregnant. Yep. And she had, goes on to maternity leave. So these are all kind of regular expenses, standard expenses, I guess you would say. You're prepared for them all. You're ready to go. While Mel's on maternity leave, what happens? A bit of an unexpected turn. We're always expecting it to be a big life change. Um, Aria, my daughter, was probably really unsettled, I suppose, or what they would term extremely colicky. Um, yeah. That's what we were kind of calling it but to the point where she'd be crying 16 hours a day and like you could see physically in pain yeah um so she's having a few tummy troubles and things like that which trying to get to the end the bottom of it yeah we were visiting doctors buying all sorts of bottles and medicines and and herbal little drops that'll help wind and cramps and stuff like that so we probably didn't get an answer in regards to that until probably about six months. We finally got in to see a specialist out of Prince of Wales and he was 500 bucks a session. <laughs> so that was definitely an expense we didn't expect um, or plan. Um, so during that kind of six months, you're just trying to do everything you can to kind of meet your commitments at work so you've still got money coming in be there for Mel, try and support her, try and whatever we could do to help Aria. Some nights we were bouncing on an exercise exercise ball for hours on end because that was ridiculous. Like we would settle there and get her to sleep until the next kind of be out of whatever she was going through at that time and to the point where sometimes I'd be thinking, oh, am I bouncing too much? Am (laughs) I hurting the neck? Like am I doing the right thing or the wrong thing? But, yeah, we had a few nights in – Oh, well, Mel had a few nights in kind of Sutherland Hospital and then we even had to – went in for a health check um, up at the local kind of health centre and they said we actually were going in for other purposes and they just said, oh, 
she's not your baby hasn't put on weight for kind of three weeks uh, that's a big issue you got to go straight to kind of children's hospital and wow. see if you can get checked in and get a plan so yeah, yeah a few curveballs probably one of the other ones was what was kind of a, a bit of a support for us during that time was our dog rossi big german shepherd yeah. he was kind of there as a constant throughout like he some days just be there for just a sounding board um for me just walk him at night yeah get that kind clear of 20 30 minutes clear your head but but even for mel like just she, he was always next to her and even next to aria so so while was, you're at work she's got a bit yeah of she got a bit of comfort and he was the first thing that made aria laugh and giggle so yeah he kind of was supporting the family in his own way and then we went out for the first night after having Aria and all those things. Got yes. First little night off, let your hair down. Don't know why, but thank God I didn't drink that night. Came home and kind of checked in with the grandparents and they said, oh, Rossi's been outside all night. We can't get him to come inside. And so I'm like, okay. Went outside, touched his nose, boiling hot, tried to get him to drink, nothing. As I was looking over him, his whole left side was just just blown up like so swollen right. so what he'd managed to do to himself i don't know how he twisted his stomach so right. pretty much a life-threatening injury so i had to cart him up to the 24-hour vets um out for sylvania and then they said nah you got to go straight to homebush they got a dedicated hospital out there so really yeah went out there got mel to call ahead and say my husband's bringing a dog in you got to see him straight away and pretty much they Filling out the form, they were yelling at me to fill out the form as they were trying to cart him off for an x-ray to find out exactly what was happening. But, yeah, after the x-ray, they, you get probably five or ten minutes in a room and they say he's twisted his stomach. Good news is there's like an 80% chance he'll live. Right. Bad news is it could cost anywhere between five to 15 grand. So, wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this perfect, as, as we called it, just before we got on the perfect <laughs> storm of uh, – Errors is all coming together. So yeah, sick daughter, now a, a severely sick pup. Yeah, we've heard all sorts of advice and feedback from some people that we were mad for paying it and whatever else, but I, I suppose it was very unique circumstances. Like oh, I said before, we're massive dog people, so he's a part of the family. Um, we did have insurance, but unfortunately they termed a twisted stomach as an illness, not an accident, which... <sighs> Okay, technicality, yeah, yeah. yeah right. So I wish I was a, a legal practitioner, that might have helped. But yeah. just all the all the support he'd offered as a two-year-old, I couldn't couldn't make that decision just to put him down and kind of end his suffering that way. So, so another another quite expensive bills now come up. So yeah, very unexpected, that one. Two really large bills. You've got wife on mat leave and you're barely swimming, right? Yeah, we were, we were struggling in terms of just – Making ends meet, really. Uh, it's just the bills of the doctor's visits. They kind of added up. Uh, it was the the specialist, but also the paediatric guy. He was trying his best as well to help us. Um, he was really good. He was calling us after hours on weekends, checking in. So he was a bit of a godsend because the, the specialist he got us into, books were shut. He wasn't taking anyone new. So right. somehow he got us in. And, yeah, this guy just within the first – Five minutes of seeing Ari, he said, yeah, I know what it is. And right. So that was that was a good comfort, but it was still probably three months seeing him, medicine, all sorts of reflux and, yeah, suppositories yeah. a few times a day. Um, so it was all those kind of medical expenses 
added up quite quickly. Yeah. Um, like you always expect you're paying for wipes and nappies. and So leading into it, you've, you've tried to do as much as you can to prepare for that drop in income and the additional yeah. expenses ready to go, but it's these other additional expenses that have come along. So... Uh, so that's all. That was all finished, I guess, a few years ago. Now you're back out the other side of it. Yeah, we are. So back in potentially might be going through it again. Yeah, <laughs> we got yeah. a second on the way in November. Fantastic! Congratulations. Yeah, it's, it's exciting. Definitely exciting. So Ari's excited to meet her next kind of friend, um, and we're we're excited. But being the nature of kind of what she went through, there's a fifty percent chance. The next one I'll have it. So, yeah. But I think the benefit is we've gone through that. You know what it we've could be. Probably every bloody bottle under the sun. Yes. So, yeah. Um, so are prepared. you preparing differently this time, uh, or are you just uh, just getting as much together, ready to go? Probably we have prepared a bit better this time, but I think there's always a chance to take stock and look at how we're prepared as well. Will it, is it enough um, compared with the other goals of what we're doing? Um, the nature of houses are that something always goes wrong as well, and we've gone through that as well. Um, we fixed our gutters when we first got in and then found a whole bunch of other problems. So part of the reason we got rid of the trees is because we had to redo all the plumbing and the fence collapsed one afternoon, and you can't have that with a whatever 45-kilo dog that's very that's energetic. Right. So yeah. we had to fix all them hot water system went a few weeks ago there's always something that pops up so do we have enough i hope so we'll find out we'll find out we might do a flashback episode yeah see how you went i'll be a lot grayer i think by then yeah but uh look would you have it any other way no like i wouldn't change anything as i said some people thought we were mad for paying what we paid for rossi but we went down to melbourne a couple weeks ago upon coming back just from little four nights stay away Aria and him running around for the next 10 minutes when they first saw each other just four days. Like, they're best mates and that's fun. Every day I'm just in awe of, like, what Mel does with Aria and how much she's learnt off her. Um, and, yeah, Aria's got me wrapped around her little finger. Yeah, so as they tend to do. It's, um, as they do. It's very fun. Perfect. Now, uh, thanks very much for coming in. I really appreciate it. Thanks for telling your story as well. So yeah, this is uh, an episode, I guess, highlighting that there are good and bad times when you're buying the property and as much as you can do to prepare. Sometimes there are those, um, those situations and circumstances that come out that are beyond even your, your wildest thoughts and dreams of what, what could actually happen. Now there's other people who are looking to get into that first property now or potentially have their first property. What advice would you have for them about to go through what you've gone through? Um, probably the best piece of advice from the market as it is now and what we've experienced recently buying the house, that resilience is a big thing. Um, the amount of times that I threw my toys out of the, the pram, <laughs> yes. um, having kind of Mel just to go, oh, like we, we'll get one. We just got to stick at it. Um, and then sometimes I would have to be that support. So that resilience, while it hurts and it breaks your heart, it's important, but probably as I alluded to before, that, that one that got away, uh, that was probably in part because of me, more focused on the immediate like wedding and honeymoon. Once we get past that, let's sort out the pre-approval and let's um, really start moving on it then. That one sold probably the week before we got the pre-approval finalised, so we're in the pre-approval process, but stupid old me, if I was on it earlier, we would have been... Probably ready to fire. Yeah, ready yeah. to go. And look, that's certainly not an uncommon story. 
people who are considering buying properties, they then start to download the real estate apps and spend their lunch times on realestate.com having a look around and they're not ready to go. That dream property comes up and uh, as we know, the one the good ones go quickly, don't they? Yeah. So it's about getting your finances sorted, making sure you are in a position to make that jump and then if that right property comes up, you can go. So that's really good advice. So Tyler, thanks very much for coming in today and sharing your story some really good takeaways there as far as being patient resilient when you're out on that hunt for the property getting advice from people so you can know what questions you should be asking and when you should be asking them using your partner as support was a really good one there at the end there just to bounce some ideas off and keep yourself uh, firing and staying in the market and also making sure you've got those finances in place and you're ready to go for when that right property does come along it's another episode of How Gem Why Buy. I'm Nathan Smith. Join us next fortnight for the next episode. This podcast is for general information only. It contains brief comments not intended to be the basis for decision making, nor to be taken as a substitute for specific advice. Please contact Birdie Wealth to discuss any matters that may be relevant to your individual situation. For more information, go to www.birdiewealth.com.au.